This morning for our scripture reading, we're reading from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the second to last book in the Old Testament, so it's just just a book or two before the New Testament. And we're also reading a verse from Acts, what was it, Acts 9? Acts 2, Acts 2, 39. Yeah. Um, way back in the Garden of Eden, when, when men fall, fell into sin, God already made a promise that there would be a way to salvation. And then uh, Zechariah wrote these words more than 500 years before Christ walked on the earth. So these promises have been made for many, many years and many times, and, and uh, often hard for us to, to realize or even understand. So these are the words that Zechariah wrote so long ago, the promise of the, the uh, triumphal entry of a new king, a new, new kind of king. The coming of Zion's king. I'm reading from Zechariah 9, Beginning at verse 9, I forgot to mention that, but I think you see that. So, The coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. And then from Acts 2, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Thus far the reading of God's word. Father, what a beautiful time of worship this morning singing praise to you, hearing testimony of faith, watching young parents bring their child to you, to be touched by you through the waters of baptism. Lord, times to listen to your word. And Lord, we do this together as family. So Lord, may this time of worship, and as we enter into your word, may... May this time shape us and form us more and more into the people you call us to be. And Lord, I ask that the words which will be spoken next, may they be your words and not mine. 
pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King. Amen. Mm, baptism and Palm Sundays and birthdays are, uh, are celebration days. Both filled with promises and hope and excitement and, and God acting in really special ways. Pointing us to who he is and who we are. And Bradley and Grace have chosen these passages, these verses for us this morning. And I'm so thankful they connect so well to Palm Sunday. It makes it so much easier for, uh, for myself. But it's beautiful because it shows that, that you want Diani to know that Jesus is her king, as well as God as Father. And then the Holy Spirit is going to surround her and be in her her whole life as well. What beautiful passages, what beautiful moment. In baptism, we're reminded of God's saving grace and the claim he places on us as his children. Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus is our king. And he places his claim on us as our king. Both, day, both days are filled with, with good news, pointing to the good news that rests in Jesus as our King and Savior, the one who frees us from slavery and oppression that comes from sin. Zechariah is born in Babylon, and he returns with the exiles to, to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel and Joshua, the two leaders of Israel at that time. Now, Zechariah is sent to rebuke the people of Judah and, and push them to finish rebuilding the temple. You see, they came back from, from Babylon, from exile, and, and they're filled with excitement and hope until they get to Jerusalem and they see the walls are all flattened and they see the temple, there is nothing left of it. And there's a time of, of thankfulness of being back, but a time of mourning. Their great city... Their great temple, all flattened. But they get to work. And they start rebuilding walls. They start rebuilding the, the temple. And they start rebuilding their own homes and setting up businesses and moving in outside the, 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 the city of Jerusalem to set up farms and businesses outside the, the city. And they're working hard. But their attention kind of got shifted a little bit from the temple and rebuilding that to, well, we got to get the walls done. We got to get our businesses done and everything else. And yeah, we started the temple. We'll get back to it. And Zacharias says, hey, wait a minute here. I guess I got to push you. Push you to remember that the Lord is with them even though there's opposition to rebuilding the temple, even though you need walls and even though you need homes and, and that as well. And because you're, I know that there's people who are around here are, are saying you can't do all this. But remember, we don't do this in our own strength. It's not about how strong we are. In Zechariah 4, 6, we hear... So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, as they rebuild. 
rebuild their presence in the promised land. The Lord is reassuring Zerubbabel that even though he's not a King David, he's not a Solomon, but that he doesn't have to be. He just has to be Zerubbabel because the Lord is with him and the Lord is almighty and he'll protect them and he'll, he'll make sure that the walls get built, their homes get built, but they have to remember their commitment to him as well. And that means getting that temple built so that they don't forget. People of Israel aren't much different than we are. It's not uncommon for all of us to have things that we want to do for Jesus, even start them and then find ourselves distracted and, and, and kind of sidetracked from actually finishing them. We're not building a new temple here. We did a great reno though. Kudos to, to all of you. But how often do we put off inviting our neighbor to come to church with us? Or put off having that, 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 that first or second faith conversation with somebody that we've been meaning to talk to them about Jesus, but we never quite seem to find the time or the words. Or maybe it's something else we've been planning to do. An area in our own faith life that we keep meaning to work on. After all, the New Testament calls us the temples, the temple of the Lord now. Zechariah, he knows to inspire them, to get them going again. He's got to remind them about the coming Messiah. That he's going to come in lowliness. Zechariah talks about the Messiah's humanity. Rejection and betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah talks about crucifixion and priesthood and kingship and more. I'd encourage you to take time in the next week or two and just read through Zechariah with Jesus in mind and you will be astonished at how Zechariah is pointing ahead to Jesus. Now, in this passage that you chose this morning, we're told that the Messiah is going to come like a king, but not a warrior king, but a king who brings peace, renewal, and restoration of the kingdom. Zechariah 9 and 10, 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a, foal, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So heads up, treasure seekers, as we kind of move through this. Zechariah is contrasting the, the coming Messiah with the military strength of Babylon. Babylon's a mighty, mighty empire that has conquered countries all around them and all through that known world. And what they would do is, is when they conquered a country, they would take the people and then they would scatter them through the whole empire. That's so that people couldn't keep their national identity. 
And Israel as well is taken into deep into Babylon and, and the people were scattered throughout the, the whole empire. And the goal was for them to marry the people around them. See, what happens then is you lose your national identity and your identity gets shifted to the nation in charge, Babylon at that time. Now that Jews were always a little different. It didn't quite happen. So Zechariah points to Israel's Messiah, who's going to be a king. He's going to be humble, riding on a colt. He's not going to be on a war horse. He's not going to be like Babylon, who establishes his kingdom through warfare and might and, and power and the sword. Instead, he comes to bring peace, to bring shalom, to bring healing and renewal, wholeness, flourishing, health. To bring the people back to God. Because at its heart, shalom is about our relationship with God and with each other and with ourselves and with creation. Israel's Messiah King is riding on a humble work animal. It's going to break the military might of Israel. Did you hear that? He's going he's to take away the chariots from Israel. He's going to take the war horses from Jerusalem so that the people have no choice but to depend on this coming Messiah. It's a huge con contrast between the ways of the Lord and the ways of the world, the ways of Babylon. And Babylon's ways are condemned as unjust here. The Messiah is saying, I want you to find your identity. Not in your nationhood, as Babylon wants you to do, but I want you to find your identity in the Messiah who comes from God. And this is where we hear the echo ahead to Palm Sunday. And the account in all four Gospels of Jesus riding into into Jerusalem as the Passover is about to begin, riding in on a donkey rather than a horse as a sign that he comes as a king of peace rather than a conquering king. And the people, they cheer and they celebrate. But I'm thinking in the back of their head, they're going, he's riding in to take the throne. He's riding in to get rid of Rome. They're not quite sure how. But in their history, not all that long ago in terms of history, the Maccabees had already had freed the people from, from Assyria. So perhaps this Messiah king is going to free them from the weight of Rome. Israel's placing its hope in a Messiah in the tradition of David or Solomon, kings of power and strength. But Jesus brings a different strength, brings shalom and peace to the nations. Not 
only Israel, but to all nations, all peoples. As King Jesus comes to reconcile us to God, to make us right with God. We hear in Romans 5:10, "For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life?" Jesus comes as our king, but he comes while we are still enemies against His Father. He comes to change us from enemies to children to children of God, reconciled, renewed, restored. We quickly think of others being enemies of God, especially those who don't live according to God's and Jesus' teaching in the Bible, but Paul reminds us that we are all enemies of God and Jesus came to make us right through his death, through the blood of his covenant that God talks about in Zechariah 9.11. The blood that frees the prisoner from the waterless pit. And as Jesus comes as a king of shalom and peace, he comes as a sacrifice. He comes riding towards a cross, not a throne. It's the cross that brings us peace and reconciliation with God. That kingdom of peace talked about so many of the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus comes to save us. Hosanna, save us. To save us from our sins. To save us from all this enmity that we have created between us and God. He's come to bring peace between us and God so that we can experience peace that is more than an absence of conflict, but a peace that brings hope, that encourages us to come together in order to bless, a peace that brings growth and flourishing. What a huge reason to be a people of celebration today. And that's why the people are so excited when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. They spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, as Mark tells us. As Jesus rides the donkey to Jerusalem, the crowds shout out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Echoes to Psalm 118, where the people are crying out for, for salvation, but the people here crying out Hosanna to Jesus, they're only thinking of Rome. They expect the Messiah to be an earthly king. And while they're wrong about the kind of king Jesus is, they were right to connect Psalm 118 to him. Psalm 118, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. To the horns of the altar. 
that place where if you're accused and you're, you're guilty, you can hang on to the horns and you're granted clemency, you're granted peace until your case can be heard within the temple. And we can grab hold onto those horns of the altar. And then Jesus comes and he stands between us and God and he says, look at them through me. I am their king. Their identity comes now from me because I've taken care of their sin. I've washed it all away. Jesus is a king. He rides in as a king, but he rides in as king of kings and lord of lords, as we're reminded of in Revelation. You know, they're going to wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. That's what baptism reminds us of as well, is that we're called, that we're chosen to be faithful followers of Jesus. Jesus' kingdom stands in sharp contrast to the kingdoms of that time, but also the kingdoms of today. We hear this in Jesus' response to Pilate and John. Pilate goes inside the palace, and you know him, and he's gets Jesus to come to him and, and he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? I love how Jesus just kind of has this conversation with him. But Jesus gets to the point, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to present my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate says, you are a king then. And Jesus says, well, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is telling Pilate, yeah, yeah, you've got it, but I'm a different kind of a king. And I'm all about truth. Because Pilate was trying to dodge the truth of who Jesus was. So rather than an earthly kingdom built through sword and might, Jesus comes humbly as a king of shalom, a king who comes to protect his people from the prince of this world, who's Satan. Satan brings chaos and condemnation. King Jesus brings renewal and forgiveness. I love what Tim Keller says about this passage. This odd juxtaposition that Jesus was king, but that he didn't fit the world's categories of kingship, he brought together majesty and meekness. When you think of a king, you don't think of a lamb. You think of a bull. You think of a lion. But Jesus comes as a lamb. But he comes as that majestic lamb. Keller goes on to refer to a sermon by Jonathan Edwards where Edwards writes, In Jesus we find infinite majesty yet complete humility, perfect justice yet boundless grace, absolute sovereignty yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself yet entire trust and dependence on God. But in Jesus the result of these extremes of character is not mental and emotional breakdown, 
But Jesus' personality is complete and beautiful whole. Watch this mighty king ride a little donkey into Jerusalem and deal with what he finds there. That's the kind of king Jesus is. He brings all these contrasts, all these what we would call opposites, and he brings them together in himself. Meekness and majesty, power and humility, life and death. In baptism, we join Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, things we normally don't put together. The good news of the gospel for us today is that Jesus saves us. He saves us from our sins even while he's with us in our struggles. We can cry out, Hosanna, save him, save us to him and know that he will. As Peter reminds us in the passage that Grace and Bradley chose for us, these promises are for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And this calls for celebration. Hosanna. Praise the Lord. Amen. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for giving us a completely different kind of king. We think we need one thing, but then you show us what we really need. We need a king on a donkey rather than a war horse. We need a king who will sacrifice himself rather than raise himself up. We need a king who will die for us but a king that you then raise up and give all authority in heaven and on earth. So Lord, we thank you for King Jesus. May we be humble, but may we also walk through this world with strength and with hope. Thank you. Amen.